Good afternoon, everybody. Hello and welcome to this professional development webinar brought to you by the Fashion Network in partnership with the e-commerce club. I say good afternoon. It's good afternoon here in the UK where we're broadcasting from. Um, but obviously we've got panels from all over the world. So just a little bit about this session. Uh, we will be covering the topic of the joys of replatforming. Um, and I say that with a hint of sarcasm. Uh, for those that have been for the process, they might understand where I'm coming from. Uh, the specifics of today's panel, though, we will be looking at when and why you should be replatforming. We'll be discussing the challenges of legacy systems, uh, the different platforms available and the pluses and minuses of them. Uh, and if we have time, we'll be talking about uh, replatforming's biggest fails, uh, costs and uh, integrations. So that's the agenda uh, for today. Uh, just a few things to note at the beginning. Um, uh, if you have any questions or comments, then please, please, please leave them in the chat box. Um, this isn't uh, a podcast, this is a webinar and we want to try and keep this uh, as interactive as possible. So do get involved. Like I say, questions and comments, we'll do our best to answer and acknowledge as many of them. Um, if you are a little bit like me and you prefer to speak rather than type, then you can use a little tool here in the Zoom webinar feature, which is a raise your hand tool. Uh, you click on that and it will notify us that you would like to speak to us and then we can switch your audio on and you can talk to our panelists uh, directly. Uh, don't worry about it. We can't switch your video on, but we can, if you request to turn your audio on, we can switch that on and you can chat to us. Um, if uh, this uh, session will be recorded for anyone that is speaking to us, just so you know, uh, and it will be published on the Fashion Network's YouTube channel at a later date, just in case you want to share it with any friends or colleagues or bosses. Uh, so you, if you are registered, well, you are registered if you're in here, we will send an email around to everybody with a link to the YouTube channel after this session is done. Um, also, uh, immediately after this session at um, three o'clock, uh, a GMT, uh, we'll have a quick 15 to 20 minutes of networking session. So um, if you want to join us, uh, my colleague uh, Scarlett, who's in the background, will share a link during this talk to come and join us. Um, whereas you're at the moment, you're in a webinar, a Zoom webinar, um, that little session will be a Zoom meeting. So if you want to come and join us and you might get a chance to meet the panelists, you can meet um, myself, my colleague here from the Fashion Network and the e-commerce club. Uh, and also you might get to meet some uh, fellow delegates. So that will be happening immediately after this session. And it will only take place for about 15 to 20 minutes tops. It'll just be a quick virtual networking, if you like. Um, before we begin, though, um, we would like you guys listening in to make use of the chat box. And we would be delighted if you can let us know uh, in the chat box where you're from in the world. Uh, let us know the job role that you do and the company that you do it for. So let us know where you're from in the world job role you do uh, and obviously if you want to give your company a shout out pop that in there to give our panelists uh, an idea of who's listening to um, if you happen to be a student or anything like that then just let us know what you're studying and where you're studying so yeah pop that into the chat box so we can have a look um, and before we uh, get into the panel discussion I'd just like to uh, give a shout out to our two sponsors today so we have two sponsors and the first one is Better Commerce. Uh, Better Commerce offers headless and composable solutions to mid-market retailers uh, in particular they specialize in areas such as PIM uh, e-commerce development uh, they, they, they specialize in experience 
um, OMS, uh, engagement and analytics. And when we say engagement, we're talking about uh, an AI and personalization engine that they have developed. So that's Better Commerce. Uh, alongside Better Commerce, we have our other partner, which is the Commerce team. And I guess that's, that means, that's what it says on the tin there, really. Uh, the Commerce team are a team of highly experienced e-commerce experts delivering e-commerce platform implementation, development, consultancy, and support. So a huge thanks uh, for both of those businesses for sponsoring today's session. Um, this allows us to be able to deliver these uh, learning events to you guys without uh, any cost. Um, so if anybody listening in are in the market for any sort of uh, e-commerce development or integration, then I'm sure these guys would be delighted to uh, hear from you. You can the contact details will be on the slides and also be on the email that was we'll sent around afterwards. Or you can contact um, the Fashion Network or the e-commerce team and we'll be uh, more than happy to introduce you to both of these business. You will be meeting two experts from both these businesses shortly. Um, before I introduce those, I'm going to introduce myself. Uh, and my name is Dale Hicks and I am the co-founder and director of the Fashion Network and I will be chairing today's session. Joining me, we have Vikram Saxena. Uh, he is a CEO at Better Commerce. Now, Vikram is a self-confessed, now wait for it, techpreneur. Uh, and if uh, that word doesn't exist in the Oxford uh, English Dictionary, I think it should for people like him. Uh, Vikram has been building software for around 24 years and still actually gets his hands dirty with the, the coding aspect uh, of development. Outside of work, uh, Vikram loves uh, street food, a man after my own heart. Uh, and he's trying to uh, play and learn golf at the moment. And he tells me it's quite a difficult game. Uh, I thought it was just waving a stick around myself, Vikram, but I might be wrong. I might be wrong at that. Uh, and uh, outside of that, he also has dabbled in a bit of filmmaking, but really his passion is, uh, is developing and coding. So that's Vikram. Alongside Vikram, we have Paul Sanderson. Now, Paul is a director at the Commerce team. Uh, Paul is an e-commerce specialist and he's sort of more of a holistic specialist with experience across all aspects of e-commerce uh, and he's worked for both small and large organisation. Uh, Paul uh, describes himself as living and breathing e-commerce and has about 15 years experience both in retail and on the agency side of things. Um, outside of uh, his work, Paul is a follower of most sports and is particularly looking forward to watching his beloved Liverpool at Anfield. I shall say no more on that point. Anyway, uh, we have David Werby, who's co-founder of uh, Prospero, uh, he'll be joining us. Um, David's an independent consultant. He's not attached to uh, today's sponsors. Uh, David is a multi-channel advisor and consultant with over 30 years hand-on experience as both CEO and CCO uh, within retail businesses. David is a, describes himself as a digital native and has considerable experience, particularly within the UK retail and branded sector. Um, outside of work, David is a huge cricket fan um, uh, and is also a Reading Football Club fan, uh, but is also, uh, and he's also recently become a granddad. So congratulations there for you, David. Thank you very much. Um, I've got one quick question before we proceed into, and I'm going to just come to you, Paul, quickly. So obviously, um, both businesses uh, do similar but different stuff. Can Paul, can you just sum up, sum up the difference between uh, the commerce team and better commerce? Absolutely. So um, um, hi to everybody. Um, thanks for taking the time out today. So um, just explain the difference between better commerce and the commerce team so um 
Best Commerce are a platform solution, a platform technology. Um, and basically, the commerce team are the, I suppose, the conduit between yourselves and the technology. So we, we um, basically come on board, we understand the integration and basically um, plumb all the, um, I suppose, um, various technologies together and make them work. I think to... To put it very simply, we, we make your systems connect to each other and um, provide the, the right experience for your customer. Thanks, Paul. And you were saying that Vikram, Vikram, you, you so with Paul, was, I suppose a bit, you could like him as being a bit of a plumber. Uh, Vikram, you actually develop tech and you have your own tech. Do you want to just explain? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So we build our own tech from ground zero and we built the whole platform from ground zero. And we offer that. Uh, we also do implementations for customers, and but mostly we are looking to do that with the partners as well. And potentially, if we look at partners, you know, the commerce team would potentially become a partner in that sense as well. Okay. To do that implementation for the customer. So you build the stuff, and Paul plums the stuff in. Yes. It? A loose, yes. loose description, yes. if you like. That's correct. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, well, we'll crack on with the uh, panel. But before we do, we have a poll that we would like to just publish. Um, we would like to get the audience to answer this poll. So um, here we go. So the poll is, do you know what headless commerce is? So the answers are pretty similar. It's either yes or no. So we're going to allow you uh, a few moments to do that. So just yes or no, do you know what headless commerce is? And we'll publish that poll shortly. Uh, while uh, you're doing that, I'm just going to have a quick shout out to see who's in the audience. So we have uh, a clothing uh, business here from Turkey, uh, Servet. Welcome. Uh, thank you very much for attending. Hello, Emmanuel. Uh, calling in, dialing in from Nigeria. Uh, it's a sustainable fashion brand. Uh, who else have we got here? Uh, we have um, Stuart here from um, Heathrow. Welcome, Stuart. Um, and if you in the audience want to have a look through in the chat box, you can have an idea who else is in uh, today's session. So the poll should be going live. Here we go. So the answer is 75% uh, um, of our audience say no, they don't know what headless commerce is. And 25 say yes. So Vikram, I'm just going to come to you. Does that come at a surprise to you? <laughs> Not, not really, Dale, to be honest. I think it's, uh, it's a headless. If you look at it, it's more of a technology word rather than a business-oriented terminology. So it needs a lot of education and it does require. From a business perspective, I think when you are looking at a business from a, as a business owner or as the one who's driving the business, it really doesn't matter at the end. What you care about is growing the business. And that's what it should be about, essentially. Headless and all these are just one of the means to get there. And they all have their own pros and cons, different evolution. So it, it's absolutely fine. I'm not very surprised with that, actually. What about you, Paul? Does that come as a surprise to you? Or, or, um, or? No, I'd probably agree with Vikram, um, really. I think um, headless, um, even though the term has been around in the technology sector for probably coming up to 10 years, I think in terms of the understanding um, of headless, it's, it's been quite limited. Um, and there's there's many different flavors of headless as well, um, and ultimately it's, it's integration of multiple systems um, to um, ultimately create the customer experience. Um, so the commerce team work across work across headless and SaaS based platforms. And as Vikram says, it's very much pros and cons to each solution. It's looking at which one suits your business the best at your stage and your maturity levels as well. 
So we've got quite a lot to go, go through today. Um, we've got quite a lot of discussion points. So we're going to be looking at shortly why and when you should re-platform. We'll be looking at the challenges of the legacy systems. Uh, we're going to be talking about the different platforms available um, and the pluses and minuses of them as well. But I'm just going to come to David first. Can I just get your thoughts on, because um, David, am I right in thinking you were at my wardrobe um, some time ago? Yes, in a different life I was. I was a CEO of my wardrobe, yes. <laughs> so can I get your perspective on when and why you should re-platform? Um, yeah, well, I think I think the first thing I would say, and, and hi, everybody, um, thanks for your time. Um, I get my perspective on re-platforming is it becomes necessary and it becomes absolutely necessary at certain points in your life. Uh, but equally, it becomes desirable as well. And I think understanding when it's an imperative versus when it's a kind of preference is, is pretty important. You know, in my business, I kind of work with brands and retailers who variously have a passion or a complete distrust of replatforming. There are those that kind of believe it's something you do very regularly in order to keep pace with change. And there are those that do it only absolutely begrudgingly because they know that if done badly, it can be traumatic for businesses to go through it, not just financially, but in other ways as well. So I think one of the things that I try to help people do is understand the rationale behind what they're trying to do. Is it that they can't scale? Is it that they need to change their operating model? Is it that their costs are too high and they need to bring them down? What is it? Um, blend that with a kind of understanding of, are you trying to become a technology business or actually do you just need to partner with outstanding people who can bring that technology so you can focus on the business side? And I think getting under the skin of that determines the imperative or otherwise for a journey towards a replatforming. Um, Paul, I'm going to bring you in on that question. And so just tell us a little bit from your perspective, why and when you should be considering replatforming. Um, I'd, I'd certainly um, agree with David, <clears throat> excuse me, David's comments around um, changing platform to keep pace, um, this understanding that, your technology stack doesn't deliver the, the experience for the customer any, any longer. Um, and then there's the um, unfortunate situation where something's failed, where you've got no option. And um, I think certainly the, the sort of primary reason is, is understanding how to provide the, the right customer experiences is certainly the preferred rather than trying to save a business. But um, there's many, many different ways of looking at it. I, I think in terms of whether you're trying to achieve growth is, is one, uh, whether you're trying to protect um, your, your business, ultimately save your business is another. Um, as we all move towards um, the digital dependency, um, it can't be, you need very, very strong leadership about how to keep pace um, and understand, um, I'll go back to the word I used before, the maturity levels as well, because different solutions are applicable for different businesses depending on which part of the cycle they're in. So, um, so yeah, um, I think it's um, it, there's always um, different circumstances for each business, but um, I think the customer comes first and how do you satisfy the customer should be the primary aim. And has there ever been an occasion where you've actually said to a client, for example, don't think you're ready to re-platform just at the moment? Um, and if so, what, what was the reason for it? There's a couple of points around that. I think there's, yes, you're not ready to re-platform because the technology is there. And of course, the people around the table here will say, yeah, we can do it at any point, but a business needs to be ready to re-platform as well. 
I think um, it can be too often thought that the technology answers all the problems and gives you all the answers. Um, but um, you need to be ready as a business. You need to have the the right skill set um, available. You need to have the resource available um, to deliver um, and, and really secure the, um, I suppose, a successful project. Um, so, um, so yeah, um, I think in terms of um, the business needs to be ready. And then uh, I keep going back to this point of customer first mm-hmm. is understanding why you want to re-platform, where are the shortfalls in terms of your current system, um, current um, technology stack, and where can those gaps be filled and plugged um, to take you to that next level in terms of your growth and maturity. Uh, Vikram, what's your perspective on this? So hearing the other two speakers speak, is it, is it not obvious when you need to, you know, when you need to yes. platform or? Yeah, they'll, they'll you put me in a very sticky situation. Both of them have covered <laughs> pretty much all the aspects that need to be covered. Essentially, but yeah, I think they. I would completely agree with the the points that they've raised. Primarily, you know, you look at it whether you you are doing too much of manual work in serving your customers. Without, despite having a good website, you're essentially doing a lot of manual work. At that point in time, you see, okay, what is the cost that I'm putting in for manual work, and can I automate that? Can I somehow bring it into my digital platform itself? So that could potentially be one trigger. You're planning to go international, let's say at this point and that again your existing stack does not serve that purpose and that's when probably you will look at okay what are the platforms which support that internationalization for me or make things easier for me so improving efficiencies going international growth saving cost total cost of ownership is just going bonkers so let's say just to meet your peak traffic you're essentially just upscaling your servers all the time or your site keeps going down pretty much every day whenever the inventory sinks. So now these are the challenges, these constant, you know, you don't re-platform for headaches. You re-platform when you've got migraines. So when you identify your migraines, that's when you start looking for re-platforming. Either migraines or a really good scaling growth. Those are the primary triggers, I would say, to drive that decision. Efficiencies, growth, going international, yes. those sorts of things. And Paul mentioned a little bit there about um, have, making sure you have the right resources. Now, this is a question to anyone, really. Are we talking about human resources here, Paul? Um, or I can maybe put this towards you, actually, David. I mean, when you have done this in the past or when you've been in-house, um, have there been any examples where perhaps you haven't had the right resources and if you were to do this again with a client who, what resources would you need to make sure you have uh, in place before you embark on this yeah, it's a really good question because we all know that there are businesses out there who when they stare at this challenge think this is a 99% technology challenge and, and I, would, I would argue that it isn't at least in the first part of the journey that you go on it's almost got nothing to do with technology. This is a business decision. It's governed by business rules and customer requirements. And understanding that and being able to surface those such that you understand what the prize looks like is only supported by technology. It's a business decision. And, and we've all doubtless got lots of experience of businesses who've kind of just thought, right, well, this is an IT project. It's it's, it's over to the technology team. Mm-hmm. It's over to the head of IT or the CIO or whoever he is to go off and do it, and it isn't. The journey has to start with the business resources mobilizing themselves to paint a picture of what they're actually trying to achieve. And it's only once that process has gone through a number of iterations 
do you really begin to share it with the technology vendors and suppliers and services that could ultimately meet it? Um, and, you know, I'm sure in, it, it, at some point in the journey today, we'll talk about failed programs. In my experience, failed programs often start because that foundational understanding piece isn't put into place early enough. You say so you don't want to be... Resources. You don't want to be sat around a table with a Paul or a Vikram making business decisions at that stage is what you're saying, effectively. Yeah, you don't want to make yeah. them on the fly. You want, to, yeah. you want to paint a really good picture right at the start of your journey about what you want this to deliver because it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to cost you sleepless nights. It's going to cost you a lot of effort to get to the end game. And you need to be very cognizant of what success looks like when you get there. Yeah. Because we all know that these projects have a life of their own. They morph, they creep, things get added in, things get taken out, things change. If you don't start with a solid foundation of, of, of when we're done and what we've achieved, you, you, you know, it'll be one of those never-ending projects. And do you agree with them? I can see the some nodding going on the other half of the screen, so it sounds like they... It seems like you guys agree with that. But do you agree with uh, what Vikram was saying in terms of trigger points with efficiencies, exp global expansion, uh, growth? Is there anything else you want to add to those uh, yeah, trigger points? There's, there's a subtle add to what Vikram said, which is that there are, uh, apart from the fact that there are lots of businesses today with uh, maybe, maybe more monolithic as opposed to headless architecture, but monolithic architecture that's kind of going out of life. These guys are on burning platforms. These things will die. They, they, you know, Paul and Vikram will work like crazy to support them and keep them going, or, or their equivalent suppliers will. But the reality is those things need to change. So in a scenario where we're on a burning platform, you know, kind of the rules are slightly different. But there is a subset of, of, of requirements that sits for me around wanting to keep ahead of the pace of change. There are businesses who I think want to put agility and the ability to meet a very accelerated customer requirement ahead of the market. And those are the people that see change as a constant. Those are the people that need to always be ahead. You know, I'm working with a client right now whose customers are between kind of 18 and 22. Those customers are kind of fickle. They just change in an instant. What they look at and how they respond to it is different. And that business needs to be constantly renewing itself and constantly refreshing itself and technology is one of the ways of doing it you don't so it's i mean i've been funny enough i've had personal experiences of this of uh, pretty much everything you've advised all three of you really have, have not taken that advice so i, I do have personal experience this myself but you did touch on something there about uh, old technology and stuff and that seem, moves seamlessly on to my next question which is about legacy systems and I'm going to bring Paul in on this um, you talked to us a little bit about sort of dealing with those sort of uh, what the challenges of legacy systems you know how best to approach that because for some businesses they may not want to change their old systems some might not afford to be able to change their systems can you talk a little bit more about that how to navigate that yeah yeah there's, there's a few flavors there really Dale so there's the old systems I think it's David quite rightly points out, are coming to end of life um, and no longer will exist. Um, there's systems that are failing to meet the customer needs or grow with the business. Um, and then fundamentally, what do you do about replacing them with, with new technology? Um, because I think just being very honest, we we all get used to how things work and and make things work sometimes outside of the capabilities of the technology. 
Um, so there's there's many different flavors there, and and we've we've sort of witnessed the majority of them, <laughs> and um, and I think with any project you want to reduce risk, so implementing a, an e-commerce platform, whether it's small or large scale, that's one moving part. Okay, so you've got a pretty strong idea, as David says, you've got a good foundation, you, you're quite assured there, but always be careful about changing too many parts at the same time, because then it, it, it's a project that never ends. So I think understanding where the changes need to happen, um, understanding how the business can cope with those changes as well, because that's another um, key part of this. It is a people business it is a people industry if the change is going to impact different facets of a business they need to be um geared up for that change and Mm -hmm. everybody thinks of a website as being the customer facing but actually the impact it has on the the people and the resources is enormous Mm -hmm. so to avoid such a long sustained change program is understand a a journey in terms of what are the key things to start with what can follow and, and where do you move um, for the future? Because um, if that's not in place, then I keep, yeah, we, we'll go to the fails later, but that is one of the common areas mm. trying to bite off too big a project. And if any project lasts over six months, generally the technology will be struggling to keep pace because it's already six months old before you've yeah. even launched it. So there's, there's many, there's so many flavors, but um it always makes for interesting work. I'll, I'll, I will say that, and um, and it's it's as Big Crown will say from a technology sort of implement um, a tech perspective. Um, anything can work, but it just depends how finely tuned you want the car. Come on, I want to let me bring Vikram in on this stage. And do you agree with that? What Paul's just said, Vikram, or you do you take the take take the position as a technologist? Let's start from scratch and build it all from scratch, or. No, I know you do do a little bit of working with legacy tech yourself. I spoke to your colleague the other day about this, but what's your take on it? Do you agree with what Paul says, or would you just prefer to build from scratch from the beginning? Building, see, building from scratch is going to lead you into a one big black hole and a project that will probably never end. So that's definitely never a good strategy to start with. You always look at, like I said, you know, identify the migraines and potentially you know, go through that analysis, which is typically called you know, a Moscow analysis. So when you put down your requirements, you know, this is what we want. Let's say six months down the line, this is what we want our business to look like. Now, in that vision, what are the most essential elements that you want to achieve in that six months duration? Because, yes, technology can do pretty much a lot of things, but there's always a trade-off. And that trade-off could be in terms of quality, in terms of speed, in terms of cost, and in terms of human power resources as well, which are going to be part of the project. At the end of the day, without the quality put into the work, it's not going to produce the result that you expect. So you have to balance it all out and prioritize it the way you want it to be. And then move one step at a time rather than you know, doing a big bang, unless until you've got millions of bucks to you know throw it all away. I would never suggest that start everything from scratch. I never go with that approach at all. Look at you know what can we reuse? What parts do we change at this stage? What parts do we change later? Where is our migraine? Let's solve the migraine first and then move on to the headaches gradually. Okay. So it's kind of almost the inverse of picking the lowest hanging fruit, really, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's interesting we use the terms migrate and headache. I'm not sure what that says about this whole topic as a whole. Yeah, for, but... for migraines, you would go to a doctor. For headache, you would probably not go to a doctor. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point, actually. Um, 
So let's move on then. The next question I want to ask is just sort of like uh, different types of platforms that are available and sort of the pluses and minuses of that. And I'd like to bring you back in. I'd like to bring David back in on this. So David, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences? We did a poll leading up to this event about what platform do you use? And right at the moment, Shopify is kind of coming out right on the top, which is like, you know, it's just one of many platforms. Do you want to talk us a little bit about sort of the different platforms, David? That, yeah, sure. That um, I, I tend to start at the, at the level above um, platform. So in my head, there's kind of three ways of looking at the platforming option. There are three routes you can take. The first route is to decide as a business that you actually don't really want to get too involved in this. You want to outsource it all. So if you don't want to put any kind of technology at the center of your business and you just want a partnership that gets your brand online, as many emerging new brands, business, businesses do, you can partner with someone who will take all that pain away. So examples would be people like Amazon in the UK, the Hut Group or the next business. There are, there are a variety of businesses who effectively will import your stock, agree with you price lists, uh, and manage the whole of the customer interface, manage the whole of the relationship with the customer, and indeed, in some cases, be the, um, the business of record in, in terms of the relationship with the customer. So there's that whole group of, I don't want to be bothered, I just want to outsource all of that to someone else, I want no pain. The second camp is, no, I do want technology to be able to sit in my business, and I do want it to be part of it. And in that case, you've got two options. You can either go down the traditional monolith route, which is the way we all grew up, you know, 20 years ago, buying a stack that effectively does the customer experience at the top and does all the back, back of house grunt work below. Uh, and there are many different types of monolith. You've mentioned Shopify and, and for every one read another hundred because there's, there's quite frankly too many to spend too much time on, but there's, there's a massive amount. And the third camp is actually we want to use technology because actually we want to be uh, we want technology to be at the heart of our business. And those kind of businesses, particularly if they're of the, the larger scale, the enterprise scale, might consider a headless world. The benefit of a headless world being that it's effectively a constantly moving best of breed world where you're constantly replacing components with better components or more appropriate components. You have a higher level of agility because it's not baked into a stack. It's a whole load of ecosystem solutions that are connected through APIs that effectively can be very easily removed and replaced with the very latest thing. So the analogy I often use with that is if, you, if your CEO wakes up on a Monday morning and decides that actually um, TikTok is the next thing or, or video conferencing with your customers is the next thing, you could have put a component in in a, in a few days uh, and a week later, you could be actually taking the benefit of that through a, through a headless world. To do that in a monolith world, much more complex, much more difficult to do and probably quite a lot more expensive. Your so I think there's kind of three camps. And before you yeah. jump into saying, you know, is it Shopify or is it SAP or is it whatever it is or big commerce or something else? I think you just have to consider how does the nature of your business map to those three camps? And, and which which would you exclude, or, and therefore which would you include? Okay, and obviously there'll be cost implications and on all of that, which we'll come on to in a bit. Anyway, um, just interesting. You talked about video conferencing. We've actually done a, 
uh, a masterclass which you can find on the YouTube channel about live commerce. <laughs> so if there anyone that's picked in, so there is there's a recording out on your channel, YouTube channel about live commerce there. Um, Paul, do you want to pick up on any of those points in terms because obviously you're you, you know you're yeah, in the business yeah, of coming there. Um, I think I think yeah, there's, there's definitely three camps there. And I think it, again goes back to um, the business objective: is it to grow? Is it to um, protect market share? Is it to launch a new product? And, and there's different solutions for different um, elements, and and they all do have a place within the market. And I think this is a key factor: is there's not one solution that fits all. Um, they all have a place within the market. It just depends which suits your business the most. And, um, and yeah, um, the, as I said, there's pros and cons to each solution. Um, there's cost implications. Um, and, and, yeah, it, it really is down to it, it, anybody can pick up 101 different solutions, but um, not one will be perfect. But does it answer for what you need at this present time? Yes. Will it answer what you need in six months' time? Who knows? Nobody saw the pandemic um, come mm. along. So in, in terms of, I suppose, as a business, if you're if you're agile enough to be able to make decisions, make changes, and be and be as prepared as possible, then that puts you in a very strong position. But you've got to be a business that accepts change will happen and you can't sit on the same technology solution um, for too long. Um, there's there's no longer a five year plan around technology. And Vikram, obviously your solutions you've got solutions that you've developed yourself, but you also you do work with other solutions as well, don't you? If I'm, if I'm, yes. Yeah. So That's it's not yeah. cool. So my next point then is is sort of like replatforming fails, and I'm going to come to you first on this, Vikram. Can you? We've got any case studies about things in the past where things have. You know, not gone very well because often, not we when we talk about these sorts of things, this is where the some of the best learnings are to be had. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think the biggest uh, learning from that, you know, in terms of fail, is you know, I'll just touch upon what David said. Looking at it from the context of your business and your objective, if it is not fully aligned, if let's say you set it up, you define it as this is an IT project, and business guys are sitting aside, they don't care. It's an IT project that they're heading. It's not. You have to start looking at it. It's not a supplementary or a complementary function anymore. IT is not. It has to become the heart of the business. Unless and until you do that, it's not going to be successful because IT is going to do things in a certain way without understanding the complete implications or the business goals. And the devil lies in the details. And this happens quite a lot. IT people think a little bit differently than the business goals or the business people. And if that connect and that alignment is not there, then it is bound to fail, no matter how much money or resources or time you put into it. And this, we've, I've seen it a few times in the past. So, and one more thing that I would just add is context is king. You know, like David said, look at it from your business perspective. So context is king, not content. You know, what may have worked for somebody else may not necessarily work with you. Just trying to copy the solution from another business may not necessarily fit your maturity level in, or appetite in terms of technology or in terms of processes or in terms of the overall culture. So you have to understand all of it from your context and then evaluate the solution or the platform against your use cases and define your objectives and align it accordingly. If you don't do that, I think that is there are obviously a lot of checklists and a lot of things that you can evaluate anything on, but 
biggest of them, I think this is the biggest one, which could lead to disastrous replatforming projects. Okay. Um, just a quick shout out to the audience here. If you guys have got any questions as well, just pop them in the chat box or raise your hand and you know we'll get those answered for you. So yeah, let us know your questions, guys. I just want to pick up on the point. This can go to anyone really. So obviously you're talking about making this core part of your your business, which resonates with me as someone who's worked in marketing, because I always say that's the same thing about marketing. Make that your core thing in your business. Don't just pump, you know, farm it out to the marketing department, crack on with it. So obviously different businesses have different requirements. Now, you, some people might be listening to this and thinking, obviously, you know, selling online e-commerce has got to be the number one thing for all businesses, isn't it? But we work with a lot of businesses here at the Fashion Network that are perhaps wholesale-led businesses. And then uh, the e-commerce aspect is kind of a little bit of a secondary thing. Um, I'm not sure who this can go to, but I mean, if, if they are that sort of business, would the best thing to be do, maybe this is David perhaps, would the best thing to be do to partner with someone initially? And then when that the, the e-commerce side of the business grows and grows and you go over to Vikram to, to develop it, would you suggest, David? Or, or Well, I mean, give you an interesting case study. Um, I was talking to a, a potentially new client this morning who has a uh, three businesses actually that were completely offline three years ago. Um, and they operated through uh, showrooms and through galleries spread across the UK. And when COVID hit, they realised they had to change their model. So what they did is they decided without too much thinking about it to recruit a load of developers and build their own world. And that's what they did. And now two years later, they, not surprisingly, need to rip it up and start again. Um, so the reality is that the, the need for change and the experience of that need can change the way in which you tackle those kind of challenges. But if you're a business that doesn't have any inherent technology capability, it does seem a little odd to me to all of a sudden assume that you might be able to do it if you just recruit a few people. So I think you have to really ask yourself whether developing technology is something you want to put pretty close to the center of your business. And if you do, that's great. You'll do it and you'll build a world around that. But equally, if you don't, be honest about it. And the sensible thing to do is to find some partners who can come in and do it for you. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't value technology. It just means that you enable it in a different way. The most expedient way for you in that scenario is to find a partner who you will pay to provide a service to you. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't regard it as valuable. Quite the contrary. It means you think it's actually valuable enough to be trusted to somebody else who you will pay to provide that service. So I don't think you should see yourself as kind of neglecting your duties if you partner with someone, mm. quite the opposite. There's there's lots of them, there's two on the panel here now, there's some very capable people out there who can who can help you develop your business if you want to choose that route. Um, Vikram, David picked up on change and constantly being able to change and stuff like that. Um, what's your thoughts on how retail businesses should, econ businesses should, you know, build that into to their sort of, strategy obviously how do you how do you work with clients in terms of making sure they're constantly flexible and ready for changes yeah i think this is where you know like david added that headless element you know where all the complex logic and all the complex parts of the server side part is all moved in a simpler or in a in an api side in one provider and then you as a retailer you focus on the customer experience where you can focus just on that rather than you know building everything from ground zero yourself without even having an inherent technology stand or experience in there. So 
focus on the customer experience side and innovate on that side and then bring rapid changes and we've also had a very interesting case study you know of the we had a customer who before a uh, pandemic you know they were a big b2b business into fashion they were doing really good business and as pandemic hit their b2b completely evaporated mm-hmm. completely gone so they transitioned and thankfully you know we had partnered with them just before covid and we turned them around during the covid and now they're doing a pretty good b2c business website and now they're looking to reignite their b2b side of the business as well and they've transitioned and that transition hasn't been easy because the business was the mindset of business was just not there for from a b2c perspective there were turns of learning on their side we did a lot of education with them this is not how you do that this is not how you do that and eventually they did you know that the whole team pretty much changed actually during the process but now they're in a very good position you know what they're delivering with a team of let's say 10 people they were earlier having a team of almost 50 60 people at the time so this is what it has done so covid really forced their arm effectively to take exactly. b2c seriously absolutely right? otherwise it sounded like they could have been a challenge otherwise <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yeah. it would definitely have been but covid pushed them and uh, supported them and they they've now seen this side is looking really good for them it's really interesting because i think i've learned something already about from this discussion it's like obviously we've got two people here technologists and stuff but it, a lot of what you're saying is is not a lot about the technology here it's about the core business values and focus Absolutely. and all that sort of stuff and there's lots of solutions to like as david says to 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 use technology here um which is quite interesting really um paul i just want to move on to sort of costs now a little bit um i don't I'm not after specific costs here because I imagine every client's different, all that sort of stuff. But if we can talk in general terms about what's you know um, what's high cost solutions, low cost solutions. Obviously, like um, I'm assuming when David was talking about partnering with people like Amazon and and other third party marketplaces, I'm assuming is that cost more than actually going to Vikram or or or, or no no no. Or so, it just swings uh, and roundabouts. I, I think in the example of that, um, and it also goes back to. David's point around um, the business sticking, I suppose, to what their business model is. So for Amazon, for instance, they have their technology. You're effectively, well, not renting, but using, enabling your business to work through their technology. So actually, your development technology costs are near on zero, but you're giving up margin. So that is is, is one model. Um, the next model is... Um, so we, we do a lot of work with Salesforce Commerce Cloud, for instance, and they run on a, um, a almost like a commission-based model where they will take a percentage of sales, but you get this huge enterprise um, solution with a license fee, with a license around it. So there's that side. Um, trying to build from the ground up um, personally, and this is removing any sort of business head, I would not recommend to anybody because... It's just too hard, and there's too many good solutions out there now. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I always think people should stick to what they're good at, and there's a reason why somebody's built a Shopify, somebody's built a, um, in Vikram's case, um, um, Better Commerce. Um, so stick to what you're good at. Um, and then that sort of relays into the, sort of the cost model as well. So um, if you're leveraging a lot of out-of-the-box, I suppose, functionality, hardware such as Shopify for instance um, then the the actual cost to market is relatively low 
But if Shopify doesn't answer all your business critical needs, then you might need to look at an alternative provider and customize it. So um, if we compare the analogy with buying a car, it's what I want in terms of the, the, the core model, but actually it doesn't go fast enough or it doesn't look right. Then you add these customizations on top of it to be the car that you want. And they cost additional on top of the core mm. um, um, sort of model. So there's very much a different flavor for each business. And equally, if you're looking to leverage an out-of-the-box solution that sometimes doesn't work with things like legacy technology. So there's that need to plumb the two systems together. Um, so in terms of costs, something simple, out-of-the-box, leveraging little to no customization, um, SaaS-based platform, low entry to market, something that's heavily, heavily customized um, costs a lot more. Um, and I don't even think there's a, a point in saying there's a mid and lower and top tier pricing model because it depends on what you want. And um, it, it's say with building a house, you can build a, a three-bedroom house yeah. or a, a 30-bedroom house. It's um, It goes back to the key question, what do you want? What do you need? And um, and what's the what's the commercial model within that? Because having a license based model or a um, total ownership of a platform might work differently for each commercial model of a business. Um, so it goes back to the the original mm -hmm. point of what's the business right? What model works with that? What's the ownership that I want to work with? Do I want to be development? Do I want to develop the technology myself or use somebody else? So, there's no definitive answer. It's speaking to the right people to advise and understanding your business on answering those core questions as well. And I suppose if you come from a background where you are wholesale-led or you're bricks-and-mortar-led yeah. or whatever, and you want to build this side of the business, then perhaps maybe partnering with an Amazon as a third-party marketplaces are available yeah. might be an easy way to start. But if you've got a big online following of customer if you've got a huge customer base online then you might want to work with a better commerce or whatever it is that's yeah. kind of what you're saying it's just identifying where you're at then effectively. it's identifying where you're at and yeah. the e-commerce website is it's just a channel it's one of yeah. many channels yeah. um, you just need those channels to talk to each other so the the common issue that we've seen and faced over the last few years is that e-commerce has run faster than retail so the retail systems are heavily legacy systems legacy. and getting that to start to the e-commerce platform and the whole connotation of one view of the customer becomes quite interesting because one can do so much more than the other so you've just got to look at as per channel can the channels talk to each other effectively and deliver the the whole customer experience no matter whether that is amazon website in store um wholesale and so on and so forth it's just a channel and do all three of you, sorry, sorry, go on, David, yeah. Let's add one more thing into the cost debate for the guys listening, because it's something that we constantly find businesses, retailers and brands undervalue. Indeed, they don't even think about it as an asset, and that's data. So okay. the value of data is clearly what keeps some of the world's largest organisations with the valuations they have. But for you as a, as a retailer or a brand, think about the value of your data because in my first option which is to outsource your business to someone like amazon or one of those many providers 
you yeah. are not going to be the owner of that data. You are not Great. going to know who your customers are. They are going to market your products to their customers. So bear in mind one of the factors when considering cost is that in that model, you no longer have customer data. You've, you've effectively outsourced that operation to someone else. If you buy a monolithic stack or you build an API-driven headless world, then you clearly will have an asset that sits on your balance sheet called customer data. You'll use it for marketing and it will appreciate the value of your business. Well, I suppose, with, with, sorry, go on, Vikram, were you going to add to that? No, no, I, I completely agree with David. And Paul said a very interesting thing. And typically, you know, whenever somebody asks, how much would it cost? Give me a ballpark figure. You know, everybody wants to know in the first call, how much would it cost? Give me a ballpark figure. I ask them Every one time. question again. How, how, you know, how much does it cost to build a house? You know, but it, yeah. the, the standard response is it depends. I, then I tell them that's the exact same answer that I have for you. It depends. Because yeah. building a website is literally like building a house. There are so many nuances and so many finishing touches that you need to specify a lot of stuff before it can be costed out. Okay. And also, I suppose what we haven't really factored in here, because this isn't a marketing discussion, but obviously when you talk about your third-party marketplaces, your Amazons and stuff, I don't want to keep saying Amazon here because I'm sure they're getting enough uh, leeway, but... Um, they obviously offer a marketing service as well, don't they? And obviously when you're building a platform yourself, you've obviously got to factor in the fact that you've got to do a chunk of marketing to build well, this data uh, and stuff like that. You're right, Dale. It's, it's gone even further than that. So we, we did a piece of work uh, right at the back end of last year for a major UK retailer who was considering an outsourcing. And we looked at um, a, a, a project called a, a product called Ingenuity. You know, Ingenuity is owned by a, 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 a well-known company. Um, and in fact, 80% of the customers who use that platform, it's a monolith platform, use Ingenuity as their merchant of choice. So if you as a customer are buying those products on their platform and you look at the T's and C's, you're not transacting with that brand. You're transacting with the merchant of record as Ingenuity. So in fact, what's happening is they are taking the customer's money. They are handling the customer service post-order and what they're paying back to you as a brand is a fee. You get your commission paid to you from them. So you have no cost. You have no marketing. You have no nothing. You don't even have a checkout. You don't even have a bank account. What they do is they transact for you and send you a commission back to, to you. So, you know, and there are many, many shades of that, uh, of that operation that you could engage with. But you can make it really, really simple to the point that you don't do anything apart from just bank the commission. And design and develop the product. <laughs> oh, well, sorry, yeah, yeah, on, yeah, on the channel side. That's yeah, 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 so yeah. Um, so we've got ten minutes left to go. If there's any questions, let us know. We've got a hand up here. Hold on a second. And let me see this. So Petra, I'm just going to put you in live. So if you want to, hold on a second. Can you, Petra? Can you put turn your mic off? Can you hear us? Uh, yeah. What's your question? Uh, my question is, uh, what do the panelists think about uh, Etsy markets? Etsy markets. I'd like to pick that up. The, well, the Etsy market is a marketplace. is a fantastic marketplace. Yeah, I think it meets significant amount of customer needs. Um, I think it's it's pretty solid technology, and it's obviously hugely scalable. 
so I think from a from a technology perspective, it's delivering. From a from a brand's perspective, I think there are some features and functions that maybe are a little bit laggardly, but broadly, I don't have a bad word about it. What do you sell, Petra? Um, I sell uh, fabric cosmetic mask. Mm-hmm. And do you have a not just um, mask for COVID-19, but mm-hmm. cosmetic products. Okay. And do you have your own platform at the moment, or do you just sell on uh, Etsy and other marketplaces? Um, I would like to uh, use link Etsy markets because uh, I would like to buy my products uh, globally. Okay. Okay. Anybody else want to make a comment on Etsy markets? Um, or I think marketplaces in general. Well, I don't really I'm, like Amazon. I'm, I'm, okay. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I'm, I, if we remove the names such as Etsy and Amazon, it's marketplace. It's another channel. Yeah. So if, that, if you're wanting significant reach um, to customers that you don't have the budget to market to or have access to, then... It's fantastic, but it will cost in terms of giving up margin. Um, so it's another channel, and you need to work out whether that's a commercially viable channel in terms of marketplaces. But um, each channel has its purpose. So um, as David says, the technology is good. The the awareness of Etsy is amazing. So um, it, marketplaces are a vital cog within the, the whole system. I think the only thing I would suggest, Petra, just to think about in, in, in considering using Etsy is that you're in a you're in a marketplace with a specific kind of customer segment you're in the craft home however you want to describe it segment and there's going to be a limit to how much scale you can achieve in that marketplace depending upon the products that you're selling moment thank you thank you so much <laughs> I have to okay? go for lunch sorry okay so thank sorry. you Petra thank you very much thank Bye-bye. you for all um, we've got another question here from Natalie. Uh, what plugins are available for websites to use these systems? I've just changed my website to e-commerce. Um, can you see that question? I'm not, oh, and we'll remove from Etsy. Um, do you get that question? Yeah. yeah. But what e-commerce site have you moved on to, Natalie? Can you tell us what site, Natalie, that you've moved on to? Web.com. Not even heard of that, to be honest. Never heard of that. Um, yeah, web.com is like uh, Wix. Oh, okay. Almost like that. Okay. Like Wix. Um, what I was saying, Natalie, if you've got time afterwards, we'll be, you're more than welcome to join us in the post meeting if you want to have a quick chat with our panelists. So maybe we can we can do that because I've got a couple of questions um, before we wrap up this main session. So you're more than welcome to that. Or you could um, you can uh, you can email us and I can put you in touch with one of the panelists as well. So there's just a couple of points and a poll I want to do before uh, we end. So I did want to touch on quickly about legacies. Sorry, big one. I want to touch on quickly about integrations. And I'm just going to come to you for that, Paul. Just yep. quickly, a few common challenges in terms of integrations, um, bugbears, things that annoy you, whatever it might be? <laughs> I, th- I think it's um, knowledge from third parties that don't document things properly. Um, but, um, but yeah, in terms of integrations, um, 
it, 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 there's nothing that's not achievable. Um, always good to have the right people in the room. Um, legacy systems, it's likely that knowledge has dispersed over the years. That's the reality. Um, it's likely that the systems have been customised over the years. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's a case of working out the puzzle sometimes, um, but nothing that can't be overcome. So if you're a client and you're looking to integrate lots of bits and bobs, make sure you get yeah. as much documentation, resources. If possible. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, we've got one more poll um, we want to put up. So we're just curious to know after uh, all of that conversation. Um, Scarlett, if you're there, if you could pop the poll up for us. Um, we just want to know, uh, see how many people left to talk, listen to us are thinking of replatforming in the next three to six months. So um, Scarlett, you're there. If you could pop that poll up for that'd be great. Um, and I will ask my last question as well. Is that poll one live yet? Here we go. So yeah, poll to considering replatform. If you guys are left in the room, if you just let us know um, how many of you are considering uh, replatforming and we'll publish that in a minute when we get some responses. But I'd also like to, my last question then is, um, I'd like to go all around the panel and just get your thoughts on the future of, of, of sort of e-commerce e platforms because obviously David said quite a few interesting things. I have things are changing now. You've got people that are doing absolutely everything for you. And then you've got businesses that want to basically become uh, sort of effectively technology people, I guess. So um, I might come to you, Vikram, first. So what does the future of sort of um, platform development look like for you? I think deal platform development is going to become more commoditized, you know, as it is today. Like uh, the headless is probably one step in that direction itself. And gradually what's going to happen is pretty much all small parts are going to become, it's already happening in a lot of ways. Everything is becoming commoditized, being sold as a separate component. So you plug and replace, plug and play kind of different components depending upon what your use case is. And that will happen more and more, essentially. And okay. speed, I think, is always going to be the biggest factor in terms of you know, these, the response times of the websites is always going to be the biggest factor from uh, the business standpoint, I think. Okay. David, what's the future look like for you? I think I would say two things, Dale. I think the three camps I talked about, namely the marketplace and the monolith and the headless, those markets are rocketing. So there are more choices about marketplaces that are relevant for you to go and join. There are more monolithic options available to you. You know, Shopify didn't exist a few years ago. It's brand new. And there are 16 versions of Shopify out there you can go and take right now. And as Vikram said, the headless world is evolving. So I think there's there's growth in all those sectors that means there's something out there that's relevant to you. But my second point is that the customer is changing stuff very quickly. We're working with a client at the moment who has almost half of their UK business, which is sizable, done through an app. Oh, well, we're going to see business, more business being done through apps. We're going to see more yeah. business being done through social media. We're going to see as a result of that far less of an appetite to go and build a website and more to be where customers want to be. Customers want to be where they are. So if you're on your phone, it's probably not a website, it's an app. Mm -hmm. If you're in social media, you don't want to have to come out of social media to go to shopping. You want to be able to shop the products you see and your friends share with you on social media. So that behavioral change is meaning that the solutions that are available for you as a business 
are far greater than they used to be. Namely, you had to have a website. You no longer necessarily need to have a website. Okay. Fascinating. Paul, <laughs> um, final I thoughts in the future? A little bit similar to both Vikram and David, really. It's speed. Um, speed on how you fast you can move as a business, but speed of emerging technologies as well. Um, new developments in the market are going to become quicker and quicker and quicker. Um, and that, that's the same throughout every technology over the last 10 years. Um, and yeah, to Vikram's point as well, um, we've seen so many technologies swallowed up by the bigger providers. That's been going on for over a decade. That will continue. So the next cool bit of kit will be acquired by Oracle. It'll be acquired by Salesforce. It'll be acquired by somebody else. Um, so, but they will be replaced in the headless space by an, another emerging provider that can do something better with a quicker roadmap. Um, and yeah, I think just don't lose sight of the, the business and its capabilities because there is more choice than ever. And entry into the market isn't prohibitive because you do have the choice, no matter what the size and scale of the budget is. Um, but um, everybody says technology first actually get the business first and, and put that at the core, the technology will just be surround, will be surrounding the business no matter what the solution is. Thanks, Paul. We just got some one really interesting question at the end. We are kind of right out of time, David. If you're able to answer this quickly is a question here from Hasina. David, what you said about not necessarily having to have a website, does that apply to B2B as well as um, wholesale suppliers? Well, there are, there are people working in a B2B relationship using apps. Um, there are people using, you know, other vehicles to communicate B2B businesses. So I'm not saying you don't need a website. I'm saying there are many more choices available to you, depending upon who your customers are and how they choose to interact with you. Um, you know, it used to have to be a website because that was the only digital asset that was easy to achieve that could act as a conduit between B2C or B2B. Mm -hmm. There are many, many more things now. Thank you. Sorry. Just just a, sorry. I think just as a good example to that, David, as well, is, is Nike, for instance. Um, you get an email through, you click on a product. It doesn't send you through to the website. It sends you through to the app. So it, it, that, obviously, Nike being one of the biggest um, players in the world, um, that is the behaviour that works for their consumer. And, um, I think that, and I think that supports what um, Vikram's just said from um, answering Hasina. Um, it yeah. depends on the customer's behaviour. Fantastic. And that's a great point to end on, actually. Hasina, if you have got a couple of minutes, you're more than welcome to join us. Um, Scarlett, if you could um, pop in the link to the post-event networking thing. So here you go. If you want to join us, we can carry on this conversation for another 10, 15 minutes and you can exchange contact details and all that sort of stuff. So Hasina, you're very welcome to join us and any other of our audience uh, who wants to join us for the next five to 10, 10 to 15 minutes for a quick informal chat. We'll be in a Zoom meeting, so it'd be very good. It'd be good if you can put your camera on or at the very least put your microphone on so you can join in our conversation. So there you go. The post is in the chat box. If you could just click on that, copy that now because we're about to close the meeting down. I just want to say a huge thank you to all of our panellists for taking part into today's sessions and I look forward to catching you all uh, in the next minute or two in a Zoom meeting. So thank you very much, guys, and applause. I'll close the meeting down. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Thanks,